Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Well, hey, welcome to Leading Simple. My name is Rusty George. Boy, today we've got a great conversation with a pastor named Mark McKinney and his wife, Michelle, co-pastors, I should say. They both work in some capacity with the church and have been through a lot of uh, ups and downs with church in general and also have adopted four children um, and and have just seen incredible beauty from that, but incredible difficulty as well. And they're going to talk about that today. I know that uh, for those of you that have adopted kids or want to adopt kids, this is going to be very, very helpful for you. And you're going to want to share this with a friend who's also been through this as well. And anybody out there who's a pastor, you're going to want to listen to this with your spouse. I think this will be highly helpful for them also. Hey, I want to promote something that we're doing around here, and that is uh, we put together a resource to help people post a decision of faith. Let's say they've said yes to Jesus, they've been baptized, what do they do now? We have a resource that we call A Simple Path to Following Jesus. It's a very short little book, a little bigger than a pamphlet, smaller than an actual paperback, and it is just a great starting point for people of, what do I do now? Dripping wet from the baptistry, uh, people are still cheering for me, but now what? This book will really help you discover what it means to follow Jesus. It ties in directly to your church ministry. You can put a little pamphlet in there, a little card or a website sticker telling people how to sign up for the things that you offer. But we're selling these in bundles to churches, and we really just promote them through uh, either Amazon or you can go through my website, PastorRustyGeorge.com. You can get a box of those and hand them out. You'll really, really uh, uh, be blessed by by this. I know people that we've given it to have been very grateful for it, so make sure you check that out. A simple path to following Jesus. Well, can't wait for you to hear my conversation with Mark and Michelle. Here we go. Mark and Michelle McKinney, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, This is a real treat for us. Uh, You're the first dynamic duo we've had on together. So first of all, for our listeners who may not know you, would you tell us where you're from, how you met, how you got into ministry. Give us the brief thumbnail sketch of the McKinney's. Um, brief might not be possible, but we'll try. Um, That's fine. I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana, and Michelle grew up uh, just north of Cincinnati in a small town called Waynesville, Ohio. And um, I went to uh a year at Purdue and then transferred over to Cincinnati Bible College. May it rest in peace. Yes. May- <laughs> oh, so sad. Um, and then Michelle, what were you doing? I went to University of Cincinnati and yeah. a Bearcat. All right. Uh, she uh, she was living on Cincinnati's Bible co- or Bible College's campus, and a mutual friend of ours introduced us and. Uh, I did not want to marry a pastor. I wanted to go to a real college and get a real degree. So, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like my wife's story as well. Wow! And we're not real people. Is that? Is that? I'm just now hearing this for the first time. Uh, but uh, it, it it took us it took us a while to get together, and it took about a year for the McKinney charm to work on her, uh, for her to actually admit that we were actually a thing, and then. Um, we got married in 1999. Wow. And uh, yeah, that's, that sounds like a long time ago. Um, 
and then um, yeah, then we moved down to Louisville, Kentucky, and joined a small church there, small country church called Southeast Christian Church. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, the rest from there is history, uh, as we say. But uh, that's where we got started. So I'm curious about this. Um, when when you go to Bible college and you want to be a pastor, then you meet somebody and fall in love who doesn't want to marry a pastor. Um, there is that awkward conversation of, "Hey, um, are we going to keep doing this? Are we going to? Are you okay being a pastor's wife, or do I need to rethink my calling?" I mean, how'd that conversation go? It, yeah, we didn't really talk about it. Really, we just, we were friends first. Okay, so. Kind of just kind of grew from there. I, I was hoping we were more than friends, but but we were friends from Michelle's yeah. perspective. You sure. were in the friend zone for a while. Yeah, was I was definitely not in the circle of trust yet. But um, <laughs> you know, I think I think Michelle and I's pathway to ministry and just in life is pretty uh, unique in the sense of like it wasn't like my dad's was a pastor, my aunt, and uncle, you know, like it wasn't. I was the first pastor in my family, and so like there wasn't like this pathway marked out for us. And so we've kind of been a non-traditional couple, I think, from the very beginning as far as how all that stuff goes down. Hmm. So, Well, your journey has taken you a variety of places. Can you walk us through kind of your ministry stops along the way? You started at Southeast in Louisville, and then where did you go? Yeah, we, uh, after being there for about three years, we um, moved to Simi Valley, California, which is just north of Los Angeles, where we helped start uh, a church there called Discovery Church with another uh, couple of uh, people. And um, we were there for about 11 years. And um, we ended up moving to um, Las Vegas to join uh, Canyon Ridge. Uh, Christian church in Las Vegas for a season. And then in some weird world of what God might be up to, uh, I felt like we were supposed to do something different, which is when we moved to Thousand Oaks, California to start a church, which was a much different thing. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I want to hear about that because most people don't plan a church, and those that do swear they'll never do it twice. Uh, you guys have done that twice, and Michelle, especially you, that takes a tremendous toll on not just you and your husband, but your kids as well. I mean, walk us through the decision to plant another church having done it before. You recommend that? <laughs> Honestly, I, I can only speak for me as the wife. It, again, I've n I've never really it's it's his job. I've I've always kind of looked at it as that way, um, and so I'm just I I do my other things with my kids basically. Um, so that has consumed me. So I've always looked at it as his job. But in the beginning, before we had kids, is when we moved out here. We were young and dumb. Yep. I mean, we had nothing. <laughs> We had nothing else. It, we could risk no it all because yeah. if it didn't work, then we could go back. And it wasn't falling totally on us. We weren't the lead uh, pastor. Yeah. Um, it fell on Todd. And so um, it was, yeah. It was he more took, of an adventure. It was more of an adventure. And yeah, I remember my, my mentor slash boss at Southeast when I was trying to make the decision of leaving that church and starting a, or helping plant a church. He was like, well, 
So you do that for a couple of years and it doesn't work out. You know, you can, you can move back to the Midwest and, and at age 23 or 24, that seemed to have good, yeah made, made good sense in some weird way. Um, but I've learned that um, God always takes your yes and it, it might not, it might not um, end up where you thought it would end up, but he always is willing to take your yes and he will make it into what he wants it to be mm. somewhere down the line. So That's a good word. Okay, so let me talk about that for a second or ask you to talk about it. You reluctantly said yes to being a pastor's wife. So let's start <laughs> with that yes. How's it different than you expected? How's it better? How's it worse? I mean, for our listeners that... Uh, maybe thinking, I, I don't understand that perspective, help some guys understand that, or empathize, sympathize with some uh, women out there that are in that situation right now. You know, what is it that you see that maybe he doesn't? What do you feel that maybe he doesn't? Um, I hope Mark gave you a little heads up on this, that I, I'm <laughs> honest. That's okay. We um, like that. I hate church, honestly. Okay. Um, I... I, I am a church girl. I grew up in the church. Um, I am. I'm like Paul. I, I, I know how to do church. Um, I know how to do church. Well, um, I was a good girl. Um, never in the principal's office, never got in trouble. Never. I just, I, it's just how I'm wired. Um, but life happened. And um, I did say yes to a couple of things. And God took my yes and what I thought it would be, um, and and it's changed me. And I've seen another side of church um, when it comes to the unchurched. Um, and so I guess it's not so much about um, expectations that I feel that I have. It's more about expectations that other people might think of a pastor's wife, mm. that they might think I like church, and I don't. Mm-hmm. Um I will say I'm learning to like it now, but I'm not there yet. And I'm learning to like it along with my kids. And that's why I don't like it. I've had a lot of really bad experiences at church as a mother. And not just at one church, at every church we've been a part of. And it is my desire for my kids to fall in love with Jesus and not church. And I guess that's where I am too. I appreciate you sharing that. For our, I think there's a lot of people out there that just said amen. And pastors, pastors' wives, people in the church, because it's a bunch of broken people and we do hurt each other. How, how would you say that you've found ways to start rebuilding trust in the church or liking the church again? You know, what are some things that have helped you along the way or you're trying to help others with, perhaps? Um, I'm pretty honest. Um, I'm honest with others for the most part. Um, I don't pretend, and I'm honest with him. (laughs) Um, I mean, we've had a lot of conversations about why are you doing it this way? I don't think it should be done this way because that's very churchy and I'm over the churchy. Mm. Like, and because he's, he's like exceptionally good at doing church. Um, and so I, I kind of am like, like, <laughs> no, you need to see it from another perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, we have a lot of conversations yeah. about mm. that, just talking. 
I love that you brought that up. Um, what is it that you think, because I, I, I have a similar story in that I'm from the Midwest and I saw church done a certain way. And then I got out here and I realized, man, we really put a lot of people off. Mm-hmm. What, what do you see as some of the common things that makes uh, unchurched people feel like, I don't want any part of this? Michelle, Michelle and I were talking about this last week, and she said something that I think is really true. Um, and she said it was along the lines of um, we wait for people to get their stuff together before they're invited to church when in reality, I mean, it was something like that. You remember? Um, I don't remember what it was, but we're like, we always preach about how God accepts you the way you are. We all know that God does accept you the way you are. He He will meet you right where you are, but the church won't. Hmm. They say they do. But when it comes to kids ministry, for instance, the kid better behave or they're out. Hmm. Maybe once, maybe twice, but three times they're out and they're uninvited. Hmm. Um, and it is so painful for a mother to have her child uninvited to church Mm. and it's unacceptable. Mm -hmm. I don't care what happened. It is unacceptable. Jesus would never ever do that. And we make excuses like, well, we don't have the resources for your autistic child. We don't have, um, they punched a hole in the wall, Mm. deal with it, Mm -hmm. figure it out patch the hole and invite them back next week and show them what grace really is. Mm. It is unacceptable to Jesus that we would do that to a child. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to the, the family. To the family. And, the family. and I, I can't even, I am speaking on behalf of so many adoptive moms and moms of special needs kids who have been living this and they don't go to church anymore. They have turned their back and I can speak because I have a platform, so, so to speak, because I am a pastor's wife. And so I want to do that for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the church has got to stop being churchy and accept people right where they are. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that goes, Rusty, I think, I think one of the things that I'm learning from Michelle and from our life experience is, is that when, when we want to do church well, we do it in the name of having great programs and great facilities and great looking things, when in reality, people are coming to us jacked up and, and our own families are messed up. And, and we should expect that the wheels would come off. <laughs> we should expect there to be challenges and problems and not just to kind of blanket over them saying, well, get your stuff together and then you can come back. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, that's really something that I think is a challenge for us, churched people, pastor, professionals, whatever you want to call us, um, that, that we, we need to look beyond the program and to the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, not, let's not worry about the rule, but let's worry more about the relationship. Right. Uh, I would assume that um, a, a lot of your thinking has been affected by moving to the West Coast and uh, dealing with more people that have no church background whatsoever. But a big part of your story has to do with adopting uh, four children and seeing things through their eyes as well. Can you tell us a little bit about your adoption journey and and uh, why you chose to adopt? Because there's a lot of people out there that are either thinking about it or are new to it, and I know it would really resonate from your story. 
Yeah. Can before we jump into that, Rusty, can I say one thing um, in uh, in regards to the previous conversation, and then we can share some of that. Um, Sure. You know, one of the things that I think I struggled with from a husband pastor perspective Mm. is the valleys that Michelle went through um, when she needed space from the church. And I think my younger self, if I could talk to my younger self from my 44 year old position, it would be like, dude, give give allow her some space, allow her to be okay, not being okay Mm. um, with the church or whatever. And sometimes that deals with the expectations or whatever. But I know that there's 25, 30, 35 year old guys out there who expect their wife to do a certain thing. When in reality, that that wife lives under an immense sense of pressure and she needs to feel okay about going to the neighbor, the church in the other city for four or five months to get her relationship back to where it needs to be with Jesus. And and we're not at all. I, I went for a long period where I didn't go to church because it was too much for me and my kids. And, um, and, and that's okay. And, yeah. And I, I think, think that's, that's, we're, we're still sitting here in ministry yeah. and, and, and I believe it's okay. And I think as men or the people in that paid position, we need to be okay with allowing our wives to be uh, not okay and ourselves not okay. And, and actually stand up for them. I wish I could have done a better job back then standing up for Michelle uh, or saying, hey, man, this isn't okay. And, um, and so I just wanted to be able to, I wanted to get that in there before we move too further into other things, because I believe it's an important learning. No, that's, that's so good. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I think there's a lot of guys out there who's, you know, their, their wife has been burnt by the church and they have felt like, ah, I'm going to, press on because it's my job and all that and Mm -hmm. those kind of things. So talk to your former self, Mark and (laughs) Michelle. Talk to Mark, (laughs) former self. Um, You know, what would you say to the, sometimes it's just uh, the demons in our head that say, if you can't lead your family, then you can't lead the church. And how come your wife and kids aren't here, you know, leading uh, Bible studies and excelling at Bible Bowl? Um, and that's a Midwest reference for anybody who's listening from the Midwest. Um, but then also, you know, the guy sitting out there thinking, uh, I'm hearing that pressure from my elders or from people in the church telling me, where's your wife? Why is she disengaged? How come she's not leading? Why doesn't she play the piano and sing and those kind of things? So what would you say to yourself back then to kind of help you? And what would you say to them? Wow. This might be podcast 2.0. Um, Michelle might have 10 things that she would tell me to say to my younger self. But I think what I would say is, is your wife is way more important than your ministry. Hmm. Um, And um, I wish I, I wish I would have had the courage or, you know, there's another phrase here that I would, you know, insert, but uh, yeah, that's a nicer way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is, is to, is to say, dude, it's, it's okay. Relax. Quit taking yourself so serious. Um, she's the one that's going to be in with you for the long haul. And, um, and, and I think really, if like you feel that pressure from your elders, then I don't, I, I would ask the question, is that the place that you want to minister at in the first place? Yeah. Um, and, and you need to look at yourself and, 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 and say, do do I want that kind of a ministry structure set up to live in uh, that will pressure cook us, you know, to death? And that's that's what I would say. And again, there's many other things, but I would say don't take yourself so serious. 
uh, ask yourself, is this the place that I want to keep ministering in or pastoring in uh, and what my kids raised in? And, and also, I think, give yourself some grace to allow your family to experience grace. That's great. So, Michelle? Um, I don't, looking back, I don't, it wasn't always because there was church hurt. It was because there was hurt at home. I mean, we were dealing with kids that were really a challenge, still are. Um, and when people don't understand, they just kind of look at you like, get it together. You chose this road. So, yeah. you know, um, so we have got to do a better job of taking care of people. We like across the board, whether they're in ministry or just in our church, people are hurting and we do a lousy job taking care of them. Mm. We have got to reach out to them more and take care of them because that is what the church is supposed to do. Mm -hmm. They are supposed to meet needs. And the, and the pastor's wife and the pastor aren't exempt from needing help and ministering to. Mm. And sometimes I think, you know, people, well, you're the paid professional, you know, like you got the calling, we didn't. So you're the, you're the ones who are supposed to take all the hits. And like, we have some special armor <laughs> that keeps us from suffering or having a hard time or, or, or our kids aren't perfect. And so, yeah. Have you guys seen any examples of churches that do it right? And I don't mean in a, in whole, we all have our problems, but hey, this ministry is great for people, or this even organization offers tremendous help. Um, what have you seen as some examples of places that really do take care of people and or maybe some programs that have really helped? There are programs out there. And I will say, you know, again, no one is going to get it perfect. Right. There's always going to be the exception. Um, and there's always going to be somebody who gets hurt on either side. And because we are human. Yeah. Um, but I, my biggest thing is getting everybody trained on trauma. Um, from the adoption world, trauma is huge. Now that we've had COVID, everyone kind of understands a little bit mm -hmm. of what trauma is. But you take a little bit of COVID trauma and then you compound it with developmental stuff and adopted kids. I mean, it is, I am telling you, trauma is where, um, understanding it is where there is hope and healing. And churches have an obligation to understand that in every church. Mm -hmm. Every church needs to be trauma trained. And that's not just the children's pastor. That goes down to everyone because then as we learn about trauma, we realize, oh, wait a minute. I think I'm from trauma. I have it too. Mm. Learn that that's how we respond in anger. And that's how we, we carry it with us into adulthood. And it ruins relationships. Mm. If we do not take care of the trauma, we will ruin our adult relationships. It is so important. There's, um, uh, it's called Empowered to Connect. Mm -hmm. I think they might have changed the name of it. It's um, through Stephen Curtis Chapman's show, Hope. Um, they partner with them. Um, they have one which is geared toward adoption, but it's really just trauma in general. Mm -hmm. um, they do a simulcast in the spring. Mm. Um, that is a good place to start. And then there's some churches that do offer um, ministries with special needs. Mm -hmm. um, that's great. 
Um, but like with my kids, my kids are, they're not on the spectrum. So therefore they're not going to go into a room and feel comfortable. They're going to want to be with typical peers. And I think mm-hmm. we have to allow them to go into the room with typical peers. Mm-hmm. And that's where everyone does need to be trained because it does take work. And the biggest thing is relationship. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, Michelle went to a conference. I think it was for the, was it for the empowered to connect down at, um, down in Texas. That was orphan. So many. Uh, orphan. Yeah. Um, and she, the, there was a church down there that was hosting this conference, um, called the orphan summit. And, um, the person gave an illustration. I think it's more about a mentality as well. And when you get trained a little bit, you can, you can start developing a heart for this mentality. And she said earlier about, you know, the kid punching a hole in the wall and, um, the, the children's ministry there had had a certain kid who, you know, I think was autistic or just, just got triggered at, at church and every week did something to the room in some way, shape or form, damaged it, put, put a hole in it, broke something. And, um, the, the church, uh, custodial staff counted it their ministry to fix it. And bring it, you know, just like saying, hey, yep, that happened. We're going to keep doing that no no matter how long it takes. And they prayed for that family. Mm. As they're touching the hole every week, they prayed for that family. Because if the child is doing that at church, mm. what's he doing at home? Right. <laughs> and and the damage that it's doing to that family. Mm-hmm. So they prayed for them. It is, it's not just a facilities ministry it, it's just to patch the hole. We are providing healing for the whole family. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. They, people can Google um, stuff on online, Empowered to Connect, Karen Purvis, um, TBRI. Uh, those are some buzzwords that you could Google to be more trauma-informed. Um, TBRI is Trust-Based Relational Intervention. Okay. So those are, those are some different resources. Um, that that people could look up. Hey, let's hit pause on the conversation for just a second. Today and this month, we are sponsored by Leader.com. Harvard Business Review tells us that 70% of the reason a person leaves their job is because of their relationship with their manager. Leader helps managers lead better through effective one-on-one meetings that drive outcomes and help each employee feel cared for and developed. So we have been using this at Real Life and it is a wonderful tool. It's a platform that you can use with all of your team members and it really helps keep you engaged. Make sure you check out Leader, L-E-A-D-R, so you drop that second E, dot com, leader.com to find out more. Now, back to the show. Wow, that's uh, that's really great help. I appreciate the not just the candidness, but the support as well. Now, uh, Michelle, you kind of pioneered something that I know, Mark, you've been a huge advocate for, which is to help pastor's wives called Retreat Yourself. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> I don't know if Mark knows I'm going to say this, but I think you're the one that helped bring it about. <laughs> oh, well, okay. <laughs> um, so it was, um, you invited Mark to go to Montana. Yes, that's right. And uh, <laughs> um, with some other pastors, and he for, kinda, a, for a retreat for a retreat. It was a <laughs> yes, soul care. And Mark, 
Yep. And uh, he looked at me kind of sheepishly like, oh, well, Rusty's invited me to come. And and I just looked at him and I said, you can go. I want you to go. But just know when you get back, I'm going to be ticked. <laughs> Only I didn't really. I said some other words. Um, and so he did go and he had a great time. I did. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you and knew what you were coming back to. Yes, exactly. You've been warned. That's every minute of it up. Yep. Um, but it it pro it started like because I just kind of went off and I was like, "You guys are invited to do these things all the time because you do need to be refreshed. You do need to go on these re retreats." But what they provide for the women is to go to a conference where we're scheduled, and I like no, no. We don't, we don't need to go to a women's I want to go to Montana and go fly fishing. That is what I want. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> is that what you all do at Retreat Yourself? <laughs> uh, we, we, I mean, last year we had our first uh, group of ladies that we went, uh, uh, we, we reached out to some either church planners' wives or adoptive moms who were in ministry uh, is where it kind of like our circle led us to. And we just invited them into this. We sent out a, a survey, kind of like, hey, tell us about yourself. Tell us your likes, your dislikes, your hurts, you know, like, you know, just various different things. And so throughout the year, we would uh, send them uh, an encouraging note. We would send them, um, you know, uh, uh, resources to be able to go fly to see a parent, hmm. you know, uh, various different things like that, that. Um, you know, we said, Hey, we can't maybe always whisk you away to Montana, but we can certainly say we see you. Mm. Um, and so over the year we sent different, sometimes it was food sometimes it was gift cards. Sometimes it was, uh, offering counseling, uh, to people, uh, especially ladies who, um, you know, again, going back to the church, always having to have your stuff together. Counseling sometimes has a taboo attached to it. So, mm. you know, we offered it to people to say, hey, if, if, if you would like that, it's available to you. But again, it was all in efforts to say, we see you. We see the struggle. We see that it's hard. We, 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 we want to acknowledge that for you. And we try to tailor it toward each yeah, individual. Yeah. It's not a one size fits all yeah. um, because like some of them, especially if they have multiple children that they've adopted, they can't leave, they can't go anywhere. So we will bring their best right. friend to them. Um, and it's not a one-time thing. It's hopefully over the whole year and even beyond, we will be able to continually refresh them in some way or another mm. in practical ways that will meet their need. Mm -hmm. We we had um, we had been doing this for about six months um, for I think it was four or five ladies, and um, at the same time I got uh, uh, we received a, a note from one of the ladies, and she'd been in ministry with her husband for twenty plus years, um, planted a couple of churches and and all this kind of stuff, and. Um, and she wrote this card and she said, Hey, um, in, in my 25 years of ministry, I, I've never been singled out to say that we, we see you, we thank you. We, we want to honor you. We want to support you. She said, you know, I've been attached to my husband's name or to his efforts, but I've never had 
somebody say, we see you and your struggle, or we see you and want to honor you. And Mm. to me, when I got that note, it just was kind of mind blowing that somebody, and she's been in both small and large churches, um, that she'd been in ministry for 25 years and and had never felt uh, the care Mm. of the church coming alongside her. And, you know, I'm sure again, like Michelle said, there, there's probably moments where she did, but, but in this moment, it was, it was something that I think was very valuable to her to have that personalized retreat yourself type thing to be recognized to say, Hey, this is, this is a challenge. This is hard, but we, we, we want to encourage you and refresh you. Yeah. That's so good. I remember uh, I had a conversation on the podcast several episodes ago with Kay Warren and I asked her what it was like, you know, basically living in the shadow of Rick. And she said, well, he casts a large shadow. And she said, there have literally been moments where people have pushed me out of the way to get to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know they don't mean that at the time, but that's also a great metaphor for how many pastors' wives feel. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 100%. So for everybody out there listening who leads a church, have a line item in your budget to take care of the wives as well. Uh, a lot of times boards and churches are kind enough to allow the guys to do something, but the the wives, or I should I say the spouses, because a lot of women are pastors as well, we're all for that, uh, but to take care of the spouse who's feeling a lot of this as well. So can we transition to adoption? Yep. Yeah. Okay. I want to know four kids. Um, Tell us your journey, how you chose the adoption agencies that you did, and a little bit of some of what you've learned and how maybe you, I'm sure you talked to a lot of people that have have adopted and, um, you know, what are their biggest questions and what are you finding as your best ways to help? That's about 10 questions in one, but you just, just talk about adoption. Adoption's even bigger than church. Um, So I uh, wanted to adopt. That was just my natural maternal instinct. Mm. Um, uh, We decided uh, after, after I encouraged him (laughs) um, that I didn't feel that there was any, any need to bring more kids into the world when there were already so many here. Right. That was really powerful for me. Um, Mm -hmm. So, um, and again, that's just me. That's not, you know, on everyone. Um, so it just was a natural thing for me to want to adopt. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to adopt one from a close country, um, close to the gospel, mm-hmm. which was Vietnam. And um, that was really the only country that we qualified for at the time. Um, and it just kind of went from there. We raised money, we ran mm-hmm. a marathon because um, it is very expensive. Um, and again, that is where God took our yes mm-hmm. to adoption and he made it more than we could have ever dreamed. Mm-hmm. Um, I will, I will share this one story. Um, if you, if, if you need prayer, you should ask Mark to pray for you. My faith is like very minimal. Um, but we just, it was going to cost around $30,000 to adopt. And I, we'd raised a couple raise money for a couple of marathons. And so I thought, Oh, Mark said, I think we need to for pray a mission trips. for a, a couple of mission trips. Um, Mark said, okay, uh, maybe we should pray for a certain amount for this adoption before we run this marathon. And I said, okay, that sounds like a good idea. I've raised money. So I'm going to go big and I'm going to say, let's pray for $10,000. Mm. 
And he was kind of like, mm, that's fine, but I'm going to pray for more. And mind you, Mark was not excited about adopting before this. He, <laughs> he wasn't about it. Um, but then he came on board and was like, okay, you're right. I think um, we do need to adopt. So, I, it was the Lord. It was yes. the Lord. Not me. <laughs> um, so he said after my 10000 he was like, okay, well, I'm going to pray for $27,000. And I was furious because <laughs> I was like, there is no way that we are going to get $27,000. That's almost all of it. You're still not taking this serious. I'm serious. I really want to adopt. And you've got to like, come on, I'm serious about this. And that's impossible. <laughs> and so he said, well, that's what I'm going to pray for. And we ran the marathon and we sent about 100 sponsor cards to like friends and family. And we got exactly $27,000. <laughs> that is incredible. Boom. Mark, I've got a few <laughs> prayer requests. I'll text you later. Just FYI. That's me. Yeah. Gotcha. It may or may not involve the Kansas City Royals, but that's another. <laughs> it's offline. I don't, know I don't know if the Lord will help them. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, from a, the man's perspective, you asked, like, what are some common questions or thoughts that people have in regards to adoption? And and Michelle's right. I would not change our our family or how we went or how God brought our family together um, for anything. Um but um, an international adoption has changed drastically over the over the last decade and a half or so. So that should be said too. But um, Michelle's right. I, I wasn't on board. Um, I, I thought maybe I had this kind of male perspective, maybe a typical male perspective of like, well, we'll have our own biological kids, and then we'll do the adoption thing. Because in my mind, I just couldn't conceptualize what it would mean to love another child that wasn't, quote unquote, biologically mm. mine. And, you know, of course, that has been turned on its head. And I don't I don't know how I would love my children any less um, because they are my children. Um, but I just would encourage those who are on the fence about it to to pray about it. I definitely believe that you should be called or or prompted by the Holy Spirit to adopt, to do this, because it's really hard. It's really challenging. Um, and so uh, I would say one of the questions is, do you love your children? You know, and I'm like, yes, 100%. I love my child. Um, just like biological children, I would assume some are easier to love than others. Um, but um, I, I definitely would say we, you know, I love my children. Um, and and also just the beauty that is found within adoption in the gospel. And we, we've been adopted, you know, by God into his family. And we're, Lord willing, painting that picture for people through adoption. And so um, I think one of the things that um, one of the questions that we get asked is the money a lot. But I think God does. God will just like Michelle, Michelle said, he'll take your yes and he, he will do it. Hmm. Uh, you know, we just got to be available to say yes. And uh, it's not being stupid. It's not, you know, walking into something foolishly, but also at the same time, sometimes we use that as an excuse. Well, I want to be wise. Right. So I don't think we can do it. You know, well, maybe you just, you know, need to step out of the boat a little bit. But um, um, I think we went into adoption thinking that we were going to save the world. 
And um, we would now caution people wholeheartedly to, to really come around the idea. If you do want to adopt, make sure you have a support structure. Make sure you, it is from the Lord. Make sure, you know, because it is challenging. It is hard um, because you're parenting children from hard places. You're parenting children who have been rejected at their core. And there's something internally that some that happens whether it's spoken or unspoken, um, that that is a struggle for children who have been adopted. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, we have mutual friends in Mark and Donna White who have adopted as well, and my sister adopted. And and I think that there's there's elements that you don't know until you get to the other side. And, you know, you think about, you know, the scriptures talking about counting the cost. I think a lot of couples think, oh, adoption, how much does it cost? But there's other costs as well far greater <laughs> the money, the, yeah the, the money is the least uh concern yeah i mean we forget about things like attachment disorder and things that they're just now kind of understanding about the you know just the way the brain works what are some things that you did not know going in that you would caution couples now and not a don't do it but just be aware of this um that you discovered along the way oh there's so many um I think it, it is not for everyone. Um, the people who like all their ducks in a row. And Michelle, Michelle was one of those, by yeah. the way. And, and I say that I, I was, uh, I like all my ducks in a row. Um, but you, you have to be able to go with the flow some, at least some. Yeah. <laughs> um, and not everyone can do that. Um, you have to be willing to change your lifestyle. Yeah. And you have to accept that taking a child out of an orphanage does not heal them. Mm. Only God can do that. That's good. We as parents can't heal our children. Only God can do that. And in some ways, that's a huge um, relief as a parent. But in other ways, I'm still trying desperately, right. and it causes a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Uh, maybe a different way of saying what Michelle is saying that we've run into, especially when people want to have all their ducks in a row, and they have a certain expectation that needs to be met through this child. Mm -hmm. and. Um, like, mm. Hey, well, I'm going to love them enough. I'm going to discipline them enough. I'm going to raise them in the right home and in the right way and go to the right school. Well, guess what? They may be a straight D student mm -hmm. and there's no amount of discipline or whatever that you're going to incur on them. That is going to change that possibly. Right. But one of the things where there's like dissolved, uh, they're rehomed. Re yeah. These children are rehomed or, or, you know, their adoption is dissolved and then they get readopted is because that first set of parents had this massive expectation of what it's going to be like. Huh? Sometimes not. Yeah. Not, yeah, not, always. not there always, are... but, Sure. But yeah. it certainly is a challenge. I think when people um, have adoptive ch or adopted children that they're going to meet a certain expectation because I'm going to love them so well. Yeah. Boy, that's just like us, isn't it? Us Americans, I think we're just going to save everybody and fix everything. And you see that on every mission trip you lead. That, oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll fix it. And again, it is the message of the gospel. 
I mean, when you when your child is just driving you absolutely crazy, and any kid can do this, but we're we're talking about massive <laughs> chaos. Um, we're talking like four hour tantrums, and not like mm-hmm. screaming tantrum. We're talking like um, gnashing of teeth, biting, scratching for four hours. Um, but then we forgive them, we love them, and that that's what God does to us. But yet, it's hard for us. As human parents, it's hard for us sometimes to even forgive our child. Hmm. But God never, ever will not forgive us. Never. Hmm. He's always going to be there and forgive us and accept us back every single time. Oh man, there's there's so many things that come to mind with, with this topic because it's such a big one for us. Um, I, I will say that it's the the children are worth it. Um, the children are worth it, and um, it's worth it's worth. I, I have something that I could go to next week, and I really would like to go to this this deal. A lot of my buddies from around the world are going to be a part of this. Um, and, um, I, I'm, I'm choosing to say, no, I can't go because of some of the things that are within our family. Mm. And, um, it's a hard decision and I'm not trying to make me sound any better than what I am, but it's just a reality that comes with parenting kids from hard places is that it does alter your lifestyle. It does change who you are. But I think what I would want people to hear is like, uh, the children are worth it. Um, they need to feel the love of God through you, um, that maybe they weren't getting wherever they were. And, um, it's a journey. It's a learning journey, just like any parent feels when, when raising children. Um, but man, um, reach out to somebody. You could reach out to Michelle and I, if you're in the middle of it with, with this adoption stuff, cause it's, it's a very isolating and, uh, lonely journey, uh, to, to adopt sometimes, because again, people are like, well, you should just discipline them more and they'll get better. You <laughs> must not be, you must not be doing a, a good enough job doing that. Or they will try to pacify you, which is the worst when they try <laughs> to say, oh yeah, my, my daughter threw a tantrum last week. Cause she didn't want to go to school. No, 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 no. Don't try to pacify me. We've had the cops show up at our house. Yes. Have you had the cops show up at your house? This is the contest we're trying to win, by the way. (laughs) Well, this has been uh, this has been really helpful, and I do appreciate your honesty. Um, If people want to contact you and talk about any of these issues, um, what's the best way to reach out to you? Uh, you could probably email email me, um, mark at reuniont.com, um, and I'll, I'll forward your email on probably over to Michelle, <laughs> but uh, um, or you can find uh, me on Instagram, I am Mark McKinney, um, and uh, you can DM me there. Okay. So. Mark at reuniont.com. Uh-huh. I have just two things I want to say. One is I want my kids to hear me say that I love them so much, even though they're not listening, but I have to say it 
I love them so much. And I want them to love Jesus. And I want them to be a part of a healthy church. And I also want to say to leaders, whoever they are, that sometimes there are hard conversations that have to happen. Um, That's just part of it. Um, But always lead with empathy. Hmm. You can say so many things if you lead with empathy first. There's healing. Hmm in empathy. Even though someone may say, well, it's not my personality. Mm. Um, there's still good practice to say, I am really sorry. This must be so hard for you. Mm-hmm. When we lead with empathy, it changes everything. I think about how many people's lives would be changed with that statement right there. Mm-hmm. When it comes to adoption, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to church, We are so compelled to want to have a Messiah complex and fix everything. Mm -hmm. But to just say that must be really hard. Mm -hmm. It's a great word. Thank you, too. Appreciate it. Thanks, Rusty. Thanks for letting us be here. Well, I'm so grateful for Mark and Michelle and their vulnerability and their transparency. That was really helpful. And I know it will be for many young leaders out there and uh, families out there that are kind of leading together. And next week, we're going to be back with brand new content. Maybe you've heard of the Alpha program before, which helps people in their spiritual journey who are far from God. Well, there's also another program out there called Search Ministries. And I've recently got to meet one of the leaders in Search Ministries named Paul Hicks. He is an incredible uh, communicator of God's truth. I think you're really going to be blessed by this, encouraged by this. And for those of you who are leaders uh, in a church or of a church, I think you're going to find some content you're going to want to use. So make sure you check out next week's episode with Paul Hicks. Well, thanks so much for listening. Make sure you share this with a friend. And as always, keep it simple. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple. Learn.